Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 through 21 today. As Jesus is approaching the cross rapidly, he continues teaching his disciples lessons. We're in the last days of Jesus' earthly ministry here. He's on his way to the cross. And as he's doing that, he's preparing his disciples because, you know, he's going to go. And he, uh, you know, he's going to leave essentially the responsibility of the whole church, you know, with these, this group of people. That's an amazing thing, right? That the church that's still going today, going strong, was started by this group of guys that we see that make all these mistakes and like Jesus worked through them and, and uh, they were humans and they were just flawed. And yet God worked through them powerfully, so powerfully. Here you are sitting today and, and you're a testimony to, to that, you know, and to the work of the Holy Spirit. It's amazing. So as he approaches the cross, he's teaching them lessons. And these lessons are going to be necessary when he departs. They're going to learn today a lesson about spiritual power. In this message, Jesus casts a demon out of a boy and then rebukes his disciples for not being able to cast this demon out of this boy. The power of Jesus was not working in and through their lives as he expected it to be, as it should have been at this point. And maybe you can relate. You know, have you ever had a season in your Christian walk where you just kind of feel powerless? You don't like, you know, you're trapped under the weight of sin. You're not seeing victory. You're battling the same things over and over again. It feels like you know, nothing spiritual is happening in your life. Have you ever been through a season like that? Maybe you can relate that feeling of powerlessness. Maybe you never knew that God wants his power to be working in and through your life as a Christian. And this isn't just for Christians that stand up in front of people with funny microphones that talk to people and play guitar and stuff. God wants to work his power in and through every one of his, belie- every one of his people, all Christians. His power, his, that same power that raised Christ from the dead, he wants that to be alive and working in and through you, touching the people around you in your community. That's his desire. In this lesson, we're going to learn about spiritual power, power to overcome sin, power to live the life as Christ has called you to live, power to live as effective Christians. Today will be a lesson in power. Here's really the main point. Because God desires to work powerfully in and through our lives, we ought to trust and depend fully upon him to do that, right? And I bring that up because sometimes we don't trust and depend upon him. We tend to look to ourselves, right? And you know how you know you do that is because a difficulty comes into your life and the first thing you think about is like how you messed up something in the past. That's the first thing you do when a difficulty comes most times, right? You, you just look at yourself and you go, I don't know how to fix this. <coughs> but that's what the Christian has to learn is you've got to stop doing that. When a difficulty, an obstacle comes into your life, you need to rely and trust fully upon him. He's the one with the power, right? And so because God desires to work in and through you powerfully, you and I ought to just Trust him fully and allow him to do that. And we're going to see that in the message today. Pick it up at verse 14, Matthew 17. And when they had come down, or when they had come to the multitude, sorry, a man came to him kneeling down uh, to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers severely. 
for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and they said, why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Heavenly Father, again, as we approach your word, Lord, make the book live to us. Father, show us who you are. Show us who we are. Show us our Savior. Show us how to live in this power that you desire to work in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Number one, the disciples, they cannot cast this demon out. So they come to the multitude. Now, the context here, you remember last week, Jesus was on the mountain with the three disciples, right? Uh, Peter, James, and John. And he had, uh, it, it was the transfiguration. You remember Jesus was transformed into, uh, they saw him in his like glorified state. And they had this mountaintop experience with Jesus. And they'd been away for about a week. They'd learned the destiny that Jesus was awaiting, the destiny of the cross. And then Jesus said to them, hey, if you want to follow me, you need to deny yourself, pick up your cross Follow me. Then he takes him on the mountain. He shows him himself in his glory. You remember, and then Peter starts saying, oh, it's so good that we're here. Why don't we build tabernacles? We'll all stay here. And then God speaks powerfully, and he says, this is my beloved son. Hear him. You guys remember this? And then all the disciples, they hit the dirt because God had renewed their sense of awe and wonder. When they should have been speechless, they were speaking, and God just put them down. And Jesus then lifted them up. He says, don't fear anything. Uh, and, and it arise. And so they had a renewed sense of awe and wonder. But while this was going on, there were nine other disciples. They weren't on the mountaintop. They were down in the valley. They were down in the valley of need. By the way, your Christian life, this is a good point, right? Uh, right to understand right off the bat here, is the Christian life is filled with mountaintops and valleys, both, right? Now, some people really don't like mountaintops because they are so sad that the valley's going to come. And some people just don't know how to do anything but be in the valley. They can't even handle the mountaintop. And, and, but the Christian life has both of them, right? And uh, there are skills for both of those things, right? We learned some last week. So Luke says this is on the next day. When you read Mark and Luke's account of what's going on in this passage, you kind of fill in some details. And I'm going to do that as we go through. They're coming down this mountain after they've been on this week-long getaway with Jesus. And here, instantly, they run into this guy that has this terrible need with his son. And he's, we know that he's like an epileptic. He's got these seizures and these symptoms. But we know that he's possessed by the devil. And that's also something really important to understand. It's pretty often that it goes from a spiritual high time, a mountaintop experience, to right there the devil is waiting for you. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I used to run into that all the time. You just have amazing worship on Sunday. You go home on Sunday night and you make the mistake of turning your cell phone back on. And you do and you look at it and here, whoop, here comes the, and you're just like, oh my goodness, the devil's like right there or whatever, you know. Um, He's always waiting. Sin is crouching at the door. The devil's always waiting. And he loves to get you right after mountaintop experiences because he wants to rob that which you learned on the mountaintop. So there's a word of application right away. 
when you're on a spiritual mountaintop, when you're on a good one, you know, with Jesus, man, write the stuff down or do something or figure out some way to remember what Jesus teaches you on the mountaintop because the devil's right there to take it from you, right? Now, this man comes to him kneeling down and he says, Lord, have mercy on my son. That's what he asks him for, mercy. This desperate father rushes to the feet of Jesus, interceding for his beloved, dreadfully tormented son. Luke says it's his only son. Put yourself in the position of this father. You've got this son. He's your only son. He's experiencing these terrible symptoms. Uh, He goes on to explain them. Look at verse 15. He's an epileptic. He suffers severely. He often falls into the fire, into the water. Now, the word epileptic was added. It was, that's, the translators put that word in there to describe kind of the symptoms. In the day that this was written, these Greeks back in this day knew nothing of epilepsy. So they put the word in there to, because it kind of describes the symptoms. But actually the literal Greek word means that he was moonstruck or it's sometimes translated, he was a lunatic. The word moonstruck, see, they used to think like the full moon, you know, if you stared at the moon too long, it would make you like a lunatic. And so that's the word described here is essentially he's saying, my son's a lunatic. He's moonstruck. He's Um, you know, he's crazy. Mark tells us more about what his symptoms were. Uh, It says that he had a mute spirit, which is interesting because Luke says he cries out. Isn't that a weird combination? The demonic spirit makes it to where the kid can't talk, but yet he can still cry out when the demon's like harassing him. It's terrible. Um, The demon throws him down, is what it says in Mark, throws him to the ground. It makes him foam at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth. Uh, And then he becomes rigid when this demonic attack is over. He's got like a rigor mortis, like he can't move afterwards. Luke says when it eventually departs from him, it leaves him bruised, right? He's got bruises on his, you know, body after this demon attacks this kid. I can't imagine, uh, you know, I mean, you try to put yourself in this father's position and he comes to Jesus and he says, have mercy. Some of you, you see your little kid get a little scraped knee and you're like, oh my gosh, oh. So, you know what I mean? But this is like, Luke says this has been going on ever since he was a young kid. This has been a whole life with this kid of dealing with these sort of things. Scary stuff. Now, the demon's actually leading him to try to attempt suicide, right? He's throwing him into the fire, into the water. I think this deserves a, you know, some sort of comment about like today, like youth suicide and stuff is on the increase, right? In fact, there was just a 20-year-old, what was he, 20 years old in Clear Lake? Just committed suicide like two weeks ago. This stuff is happening more and more. Kids like cut themselves. Kids are all involved in this like sexual perversion stuff, these crazy things that they're involved in today. This father, he understood that the problem was spiritual. I think that's a good lesson for people today, you know, because people see their kids cutting themselves. They see that they're into these weird things on the tablet. They don't even know how to deal with these demonic things going on in their life. These kids are into like Harry Potter and witchcraft and all this other stuff and Dungeons and Dragons, all this stuff. They're into witchcraft and then they throw pills at them, (laughs) you know? It's like uh, pharmakia is an evil spirit that has gripped America, hardcore, man, the spirit of pharmacia, getting people on pills when they have spiritual problems, right? This father's admirable. He knew that the problem was spiritual, and so he took his kid to Jesus. Now, 
verse 16, unfortunately, he comes to the disciples and they could not cure him. This nine, these disciples, I want you to put yourself in their position. They hadn't been with Jesus for over a week. Peter, James, and John were up on the mountaintop with Jesus. And here these other nine got left behind, kind of. Imagine what they'd be feeling. Mark tells us in this whole multitude situations that the, that the scribes were there and they were disputing with them. They were arguing with the disciples about the fact that they could not cast this demon out, right? And imagine that situation. You've got this kid. Mark says, uh, too, that, you know, eventually when Jesus comes on the scene, the kid starts flopping on the ground and throwing himself down and all this. Imagine this scene. These guys' faith is probably diminished at this point, you know? And they're thinking, you know, back in Mark cha- or Matthew chapter 10, we were commissioned to go heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, right? And then they're, they're wondering, like, why is this not working? And the scribes are like, see, you're following the false Messiah. And they're hassling them. And the multitudes gather around going, oh, I don't know about this Jesus anymore. And they're starting to side with the scribes again. And imagine these guys, you know, you're in ministry and somebody brings you this great need and you don't know what to do about it. And you're trying to do what you do know and it's not working, Right? Very intense scene. Mountaintops and the valley of need. And you have to understand, we have to know how to live in both of those things, right? No. That's intense. Then Jesus answered, verse 17, this is number two of our outline. He said, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Now, Jesus is expressing extreme frustration at this point. It's very tempting to try to lighten Jesus' words up, you know, a lot of times because Jesus is awesome, right? And so we'd some, but you look at his words here and he's kind of frustrated. You could say he's at least a little frustrated. And he says, you faithless and perverse generation. What he's talking about here is just, you know, back at the, back at the Garden of Eden, this faithless and perverse generation started, Right? Adam and Eve sinned, sin and death came into the world, spread to all that were in Adam. And ever since then, the world's been a fallen, broken place. And Jesus is just crying out, oh, this fallen, broken place. But especially his disciples, right? And you could tell by verse 20 when he says, you know, why couldn't we cast this demon out? It was because of your unbelief. We can tell that Jesus probably meant this faithless and perverse generation thing to everybody, but he certainly meant it to his disciples, at this point. Jesus is frustrated. And he says, how long shall I bear with you? In other words, I'm going to the cross. Like, (laughs) you guys realize I'm going to hand this whole church thing over to you. And by now you should have faith. And there's something going on here. And you don't. How long shall I bear with you? How long shall I put up with your shortcomings? I do want to point something out. Jesus continued to put up with their shortcomings, didn't he? Aaron's back there teaching the kids about washing feet. They're actually washing feet back there in the children's ministry today. At that same scene, Jesus says that he, <laughs> that he loved his disciples. Remember the night before his crucifixion? It says he loved his disciples and he loved them to the what? To the end. I love that line. He loved them to the end. Jesus bared with their shortcomings all the way to the end. And he still does today. He still bears with yours and with mine. So good. So glad he does that. How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. Now, when Jesus says, bring him here to me, this is great because Jesus is not bound by the fallen, perverse world. There's one person that's not affected by the sin of Adam, right? Because he didn't have an earthly father. 
He had a heavenly father. And so he's not bound by the sin of Adam. He was, you know, Mary, you know how the story goes. Christmas, you guys know how it goes. And he comes and he says, bring this kid to me. Mark 9.20 says this, they brought him to him. And when he saw him, when the kid saw Jesus, immediately the spirit convulsed him and he fell on the ground and he wallowed, foaming at the mouth. Remember that context? Now to add on top of it, scribes, multitude, inability, impotence to cast out a demon, embarrassment. Jesus has just rebuked us. Now this kid's grinding on the floor, foaming at the mouth, demons having his way with him. There's something that's in Mark that's important to get in this illustration. I'm going to read Mark 9, 22 through 24 to you. Maybe not all of that, but I'm going to read the important parts. That's where you would find it. Mark 9, um, 22 through 24. By the way, Luke 9 and Mark 9 are where you find the other gospel accounts of this situation. Father talking to Jesus says, The demons often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. And then he says this, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Hear what the father says to Jesus? But if you can do anything. And Jesus replies and he says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. You get, you get that? The father's, if, if you can do anything, Jesus, if you can. And Jesus replies, if you can believe. In Luke's gospel, it says, if I can do anything. It's almost like the father's, if, if you can do anything to help, if. It's not a matter of if Jesus can help, right? That's a good lesson for all of us here today. It's not a matter of if Jesus can help you. It's not a matter of if. He can do anything, and he's done things. He's done all things. He's done all kinds of things. It's not a matter of if. But he says to the Father, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. It says in Mark there, immediately the father of the child cried out and he said with tears, and I love this, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. What a statement. Lord, I believe. I may have this like tiny little mustard seed of faith, but it's in you. It's truly in you. And I believe, Jesus, help my unbelief. You ever felt like that? I believe, I know I believe, I believe, but help my unbelief. Strengthen my faith, Lord. The father's faith was sort of waning, right? He says, if you can help, Jesus says, if you can believe. He says, oh, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. (sighs) Great application here for parents, by the way. This just, just jumps right out, right? This dad, he did the smart thing. He realizes his kid has a spiritual problem, right? And he takes him to Jesus. And here's something that's really admirable. The dad just didn't give up, though, altogether after the disciples couldn't help him. You see what I mean? Jesus, the, the father took this kid to the church, but nothing happened. And so he didn't give up. He didn't say, look, I took my kid to youth ministry a few times. They had a whack at him. Nothing happened. Gave up. He didn't say, look, it's, it's there. it was the church's responsibility. He didn't do that. He said, no, I'm going to get my kid to Jesus. If it's in this church, if it's in that church, I don't care where it's at. I am going to stop at nothing to get my kid to Jesus. And that father's admirable because of that, right? Some people would have just said, out of the heck with all this stuff. Scribes are all telling me. All these religious people are saying, that's not how religion works. I'll tell you about the sovereignty of God and healing and cessationism and all. 
weren't doing any of that stuff. Jesus, this guy, I don't care. He comes before worship position on his, and he says, have mercy. And Jesus said, uh, if you can believe, all things are possible. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. In verse 18, Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him. And that child was cured from that very hour. Notice the authority of Jesus. Just a word from Jesus Christ and the demons flee. Just a word. What would take the disciples' prayer and fasting? Jesus just... And so you should always read the Bible with that in mind. Like, this Bible isn't like a, hey, you can be just like Jesus, because you can't be just like Jesus. He's on an altogether other level. Oh, I want to be like Jesus, but I can't be just like Jesus. I have to understand that he's God, I'm, you know... I'm, Jesus just comes and just, and this demon flees. I don't know if you've ever seen demons like go out of people, and uh, it's something. After a lifetime of torment, so many near-death encounters, suicide attempts, sleepless nights, worrying, crying, bruising, it's all gone for good now at the word of Jesus Christ. The father's tears of desperation and unbelief turned to tears of relief and joy. Oh, the relief when Jesus brings deliverance over Satan by his word. Martin Luther wrote a song about it, or at least a stanza of one of his songs. You guys remember that? And through this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us. We will not fear for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. The power of the word of Christ. His dad knew the power of the word of Christ. And so he got his kid to church. Got his kid to Jesus. It's amazing. Number three, last point of our outline. Why the disciples couldn't cast the demon out. Verse 19, the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? This is really good. All right. When you fail as a Christian... Go get alone privately with Jesus and ask him what happened. <laughs> Go figure it out, you know? What an observation, right? You just look at what these guys did. They failed tremendously. And yet they got alone with Jesus in private and said, why could we not cast this out? And Jesus said to them, it's because of the sovereignty of God. And see, this wasn't ordained for this to happen today. And so fatalism and all that. No. He didn't say, oh, it was the father's fault. He didn't say it was the boy's fault. He didn't say it was, um, you know, the Democrats. He didn't say it was, you know what I mean? He didn't blame it on culture. He didn't blame it on anything else. He blamed it on the disciples. Why couldn't we cast it out? The disciples fail, and then they go to Jesus and find out why, and then he gives this answer, and he says, it's because of your unbelief. That's why. Remember, they were commissioned in Matthew 10 to go cast out demons, and here they're not able to do what they were able to do. Now, I want you to, to notice this, that they expected that they could do this. Do you see that? Because they're, they're kind of surprised. Jesus, why couldn't we cast this demon out? So it wasn't a matter of confidence, because they had confidence that they could do it. You think about that. There are ways to do ministry that you are confident are the right way to do it, but have no spiritual power in it. 
Likely, the disciples tried to drive this demon out in their own strength in some way or another. Oh, we've done this before. Oh, yeah, here's a demon. Remember that time? Let me just do this. How was I standing that day when we cast that other demon out? Was I, I think it was kind of like this. Yeah, I was like, okay. Was it right hand I touched him or left hand? Oh, I touched him with the left hand. Oh, okay, yeah, I got this pattern all worked out. It was probably something like that. You know, they just didn't really, you know. Jesus actually tells us really what it is. It's unbelief, but yet they're still operating. Think through that. I wonder how many things I've ever stood up and tried to do in Jesus' name that I actually just did in Adam's name, you know. I just did it in my own strength, did it in my own intelligence, my own genius, <laughs> you know. When you find that spiritual power is lacking in your walk with Christ, it's a good thing to get alone with him privately and to find out why. And you might find that what he tells you is it's unbelief. You're saying, I feel trapped under sin. My kids are really struggling. I've got kids that are struggling in the grips of the devil. You know, they're involved in satanic stuff. They think that they're a girl when they're really a boy. My ministry is producing no fruit. People are not really being drawn to Christ to me. Is it perhaps because of unbelief? Is it perhaps because there's no spiritual power in your life? Because you're just going through life, just operating in your own strength, just doing what comes naturally to you? Are you just operating on your own skill and your own abilities? Is that possible? I do that a lot. It's a flaw that humans have, you know? Jesus answers why here. I love it. He doesn't say it was, you know, anything else. It was their unbelief. In other words, it's not the magnitude of this obstacle, of this problem. This thing could have been taken care of, but they didn't believe. That's something you've got to understand by this passage. This could have happened. What Jesus is saying is, you could have cast this demon out, but you didn't because of unbelief. This is really interesting, right? There are some things that are not going to happen when faith is not present. There are some things in the spiritual realm that God wants to do that he's not going to do unless faith is present. That's what this is telling us here. Is it God's will that this kid would be possessed by the devil? No. But this devil was not cast out by these disciples, although it could have been. These are, this is puzzling. I mean, this is, this is eye-opening. It makes you ask the question, I wonder how many things God wants to do in my marriage, in my life, in my family, in my community, in my church, with me. How many things does he want to do that are just not happening because I just don't believe, because my faith is waning, because I'm, I'm in the valley. There's these constant needs coming at me. People have this need and that need. I feel like I haven't been with Jesus. He's somewhere distant. I'm one of these disciples that's in the valley. I'm not one of these special ones up on the mountain. Whatever the reason is, right? My, you know, how many things does God want to do that he's not because of unbelief? He's teaching them a major lesson about the importance of faith in the Christian life. 
because God wants to work in and through them, the smart thing to do is they ought to trust in him and allow him to work through them. So now you may be thinking, well, okay, how do we get more faith then? Well, it goes on. This gets more interesting because it's not necessarily the amount of faith. Look at the next verse. For assuredly, I say to you, and when Jesus says that, by the way, assuredly, I say to you, you're like, okay, your ears, you're like, okay, for surely I say to you. Yeah, he really wants me to listen to this. He wants you to listen to all of it, but for surely I say to you, verse 20, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, get out of here, mountain, and it'll move. Now, he illustrates this point with this illustration of contrast. Mustard seed, tiny little thing, mountain. He's probably looking at Mount Hermon right there in the distance, and he's probably pointing at it like the mountain they just came off of, and he's, he's like, you know what a mustard seed is. It's just this tiny little thing. And he's saying, uh, if you even had faith just the size of the mustard seed, that huge mountain that you see over there in the distance, that would, that would move. It'd move out of your way. The mountain is like an obstacle. In this case, it was this demon-possessed boy. It's an expression that people used to use. They used to say rabbis were able to move mountains, right? It's an expression. It's hyperbole. People get stuck on this stuff and say, well, I've been a disciple a long time, but every time I go out to the mountain, the thing doesn't move, you know? Well, he's using a figure of speech here. He's talking about massive obstacles, right? Jesus is saying it's not the amount of faith that's important, right? Because even if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, it's not the amount of faith some people think of faith as a force, right? Like Oprah, you know, like TV people and word of faith people and all that like Deepak Chopra sort of stuff. All that stuff looks at faith as like a force, right? Like the medical community, they'll do, the medical community will do some sort of like study on Christians and prayer and they'll say, oh, there's something that happens. They're atheists. Like there's something that happens when people pray for people in hospital situations and they'll try to say, oh, it's mind science. Like the Hindus believe like, you know, it's law of attraction and it's all this stuff. And so the more faith I have and the more I proclaim something with faith, the more, you know, if, if I proclaim something with 80% faith, then God's probably going to do it. But if 90% faith, then God's surely going to do it. And so faith, I got to get myself all pumped up and worked up. And they think of faith as like something you need more of, right? But Jesus is saying, no, no, no. If you had faith the size of a mustard seed, so it's obviously not about amount, right? It's about what or who your faith is in. Let me illustrate. Ken and Kasha, they're about to come back from Poland and uh, they're going to get on an airplane to fly back, right? If they go get an old refrigerator box draw some windows on it, put some wings on the side of it. It doesn't matter how much faith they have, that box is not going to get them back home. Fair enough. But they could have the tiniest amount of faith, be terrified of flying, get into a 747 with a competent pilot, tiny amount of faith in the right place, and they're going to get home. Most times. It's not the amount of faith that's important. It's what your faith is in. So what he's saying is you've got faith in yourselves, not in me. (laughs) That's what happened here. You went out, you thought it was business as usual doing ministry, and you tried to do business as usual ministry, but you didn't you didn't draw on my power. You went out in your own strength. 
And that's why you fell flat. He says in verse 20, he's like, you know, and nothing would be impossible for you. If you had just even a tiny little speck of faith in the Son of God, anything is possible. Why, the Bible says all things are possible for God, right? Aren't they? Amen? Amen? All things are possible for God. If I'm relying in his strength, all things are possible for him. Luke chapter 1, verse 37. For all things will be impossible, or, you know, all, all things are possible with the Lord, right? When Mary's like, how's this going to happen? You're going to have a kid, and he's going to, you know, the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. How's that going to happen? All things are possible for the Lord, right? So here's the thing. Verse 21 really spells it out. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting, okay? <coughs> These guys here had not been practicing their spiritual disciplines, right? They're not trusting in God, and that's evidence because there's no prayer life and there's not fasting, Right? Jesus, prayer and fasting are Christian 101. They're the basics of Christian life, right? Prayer, when we place ourselves before God in prayer, we humble ourselves and we appeal to heaven on the behalf of ourselves and the ministry and everything that we're doing and we receive power from on high when we spend time in prayer with the Lord. And fasting is denying self. Fasting is saying, look, I'm going to depend on you, Lord, to the point to where it's even, I'm going to depend on you even above food for a period of time. And, and what that does is it puts to death the deeds of the flesh. It really does. It puts the flesh in check. And so prayer and fasting are two things that Christians, especially people that are serving the Lord, you know, all Christians need to be uh, engaged in. And Jesus says, here's the problem. You guys went out and did business as, as usual, you know, but have you been going to the prayer meeting? <laughs> you know, you've been fasting? When was the last time you said no to, to you, know, you know, anything? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like uh, you've been living by the motto, uh, don't cheat yourself, treat yourself. <laughs> you <know? laughs> and uh, when was the last time you abstained from eating for a period of time just to pray and intercede, right? When was the last time you looked at the afflicted people all around you that need Jesus and said, I'm going to afflict myself with them? And I'm going to appeal to the Lord until there's power in my life, until these words that come out of my mouth have power and life change happens. When are we going to do that, is what he's saying to them. He says, this is the problem. You guys have not been in prayer and fasting, and you've got issues there. So that's why this didn't happen. Why did the demon not come out? Well, I, you know, what you been up to lately? You watch TV, you're not going to, you know what I mean? Too much TV. TV's good. Too much TV. Which would you rather have in your life? Spiritual power? Victory over sin? Maybe have your kid not possessed by the devil? <laughs> I mean, which would you rather have? You know? You want a spiritual life with your kids walking with the Lord? And, you know, I mean, want to be an overcomer? Want to live as an overcomer? Came to the valley of need, huge obstacle, couldn't do it. Jesus told him why. Let me just make a few points in conclusion, then we're going to have these gentlemen come up and Mike's going to speak uh, with us. Just a couple applications just jump right out. For those disciples last week coming down the mountain, get ready. Because when you're coming off a spiritual high time, there's the devil. And he's waiting to take advantage of you. And so you got to figure out some way to take what you learn on the mountaintop and apply it into your life. A great way for me, this is how I do it. These phones these days have reminders on them. You can set a reminder to go off three times a day, one time a day, one time a week, whatever time you want, right? I have about 15 reminders on my phone. If you saw them, you'd say, 
uh, you know, hopefully you would say, uh, yeah, I can see you doing those things in your life. I'll put all kinds of them in there. Like, hey, make sure to boost your wife up once a day. Say some genuine compliment to your wife at least once a day. Build your wife up. Another one is pray first. It used to say pray first, dummy. But then I figured, well, I'll just give, be nice to myself. You know, I mean, stop calling yourself a dummy. You don't need to do that. Um, but things like that. And you're on this spiritual high time in the Lord. You just feel like, oh man, I'm getting prophetic word. I'm getting the, every time I open the Bible, this stuff jumps out. You know, write that stuff down, man. Don't forget that. You're going to need that in the valley. You're going to need it, right? You you mentioned journaling to like a group of guys and some guys are like, journal, (laughs) journal. Was it a diary? Uh." Well, when you read the Old Testament, you see that God had him set up altars and memorials all the time so they would forget. Remember they go out of the river, go across the Jordan River, go back in the Jordan River, get these stones, stand them up over here. It'll be a stone, it's, you know, it'll remind you of the blessings and the goodness of God. Because when you're in the valley, you're tempted to forget about God and the blessings and the goodness of God and rely on your own strength. And when you start doing that, no spiritual power in your life because you forgot who God is, you forgot who you are, you forgot that he's the provider and you're dependent. So that's a good application for us today is just figure out some way to remember what God says to you in these times. Another one is when you come to great obstacles in your path, don't look at your successes or your failures. Those are both the two sides of the coin of self. Heads or tails. One is, oh, here comes an obstacle in my life. Well, I should be able to handle that because I did it last time. I know how to do it. That's on one side. And on the other side is, I can't do anything. I'm so terrible. Nobody ever loved me. You know, that's on the other side of it. Don't look at either of those things. Don't look at your failures or your successes. Just look at Jesus Christ when obstacles come in your life. He's his power in your life. It doesn't matter whether you are good at something or bad at something. That, that's not even the issue when, it talk, when we're talking about Christ's power working through our life. And the last one, realize that if you're not seeing power at work in your life, it could be because you're operating in your own strength and you just need to, you know, work on your spiritual disciplines, you know. That's a word to me. I, I need to work on my spiritual disciplines. What a privilege it is that God wants to work in and through you and me, isn't it? So if we were wise, we would just allow him to do that, trusting in him, practicing spiritual disciplines, waiting upon the Lord. Amen. All right, Father, thank you for your word here today, God, and bless it to us. We trust that you've spoken, and Father, make it produce fruit in our lives. Help us to trust you. Thank you for your power, in Jesus' name, amen.